the Frogmore Plantation, where I was born and raised, uh, just recently the, the, the plantation house burned, and it was so sad. But I, I drove by one day, and there was about 10 motor coaches in the parking lot. And it's a, it's a historical place now, and uh, they, they rebuilt the new cotton gin and the old general stores growing up in weeds. And, but the plantation house burned, but the slave quarters are still there. But before it burned, there was about 10 motor coaches, tour buses, and uh, all these people with, out in the field with a nine-foot cotton sack, and they was getting to experience picking cotton by hand. And they were paying $25 to be able to pick cotton. And I thought, my God, if I could have just cashed in 40 years ago. <laughs> People are ignorant. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Is God good or what? I want to say thank you to Brother Starks. Uh, Y'all do know you have a great superintendent. Uh, he is the, just a tremendous... Not, ju not just a friend, but just a tremendous uh, man of God. And then Brother Bounds, the North American Mission Director for this district. And uh, I, like, I like Brother Bounds. Uh, I, I backslide once a year. And uh, I don't mind telling you, I, I get carnal once a year. I, I take my vacation December the 1st every year. The first 12 days of December, I backslide. And uh, I, I, I guide 12 pastors. And when you guide 12 pastors, you'll stay backslidden. Herding preachers is like herding cats. Oh, hallelujah. I love preachers. Uh, I love home missionaries. And uh, I was preaching in Lynchburg, Virginia, a few years ago, and Brother Doug Kleindentz was pastoring uh, in Lynchburg, and uh, I was preaching for him, and he said, uh, I want you to, in one sentence, give me the secret of your success. And I said, take me to your business office. So we went into his business office, I said, you got a copy machine? He said, yes. We walked into his copy room, and I, I took a paper, and I opened the lid, put that paper on that glass, shut it, dialed in 100, and punched start. And I said, that's the secret of my success. And the copy machine was just bitting out copies. He said, I don't get it. I said, you cannot get bored doing the same thing over and over right. And Xerox made a fortune doing the same thing over and over and doing it right. And uh, Brother Kleindness said, well, you know, I, I like variety. And I said, you change too often? And I said, you never perfect anything. And so I, for the last 53 years, I have majored on home Bible study. And uh, uh, in our church, uh, you hire choir directors, we hire soul winners. You hire music people, I hire soul winners. And we have seven 
pastors full-time uh, on our staff, and then we have three part-time uh, men on our staff. And I have one pastor uh, that uh, the pastor where he got the Holy Ghost in, I was preaching for him. He said, would you take him off of my hands? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he's just out of prison, out of jail, and uh, he's, he's a, a young person, a little bit older than a teenager. And he said, I don't want him to mix with my young people. I need to get rid of him. Would you take him off my hands? I said, I'll, I'll talk to him. So uh, I talked to him and I asked him, I said, you need to get out of Louisiana. You need to come to Kansas and I'll get you a job. And so he came to Wichita, got him a job, found him a wife. He buried my worship leader and uh, uh, taught him how to do home Bible studies. And uh, then I put him full time on my staff and he's been on my staff now five years. Uh, he teaches 27 Bible studies a week. And this year alone, he has baptized 65 adults out of his Bible studies. And uh, so now they want him back in Louisiana, and I told them uh, they can go where it didn't snow, and that wasn't Florida. Amen. Everybody wants him back, but they didn't want him then. And then I had another man, the pastor, his pastor called me and said, I need you to take somebody off my hands. And I said, what's wrong with him? He said, well, he said, he's just not fitting in here. So I met with him and brought him to Wichita. And uh, he was a school teacher with a master's degree, very aggressive. And uh, I could understand why the pastor wanted to get rid of him because he could preach better than the pastor. Just a little Langley up there. And uh, so uh, he taught school for about a year and a half. And then I said, look, I said, don't re-sign the contract. I'm going to put you on full-time, taught him to teach Bible studies. He now teaches 22 Bible studies a week. And uh, I don't have the numbers of people that he has baptized at this point. And then uh, uh, I had a man that was working for Boeing building airplanes. And uh, the reason I don't ride on Boeing aircraft is because I know the guys that build them. And uh, uh, he got laid off, and he came to me, and he said, Pastor, I'm laid off. They said, uh, I could draw unemployment for 26 weeks. And he said, I've decided to go full-time and teach him Bible studies. So uh, I taught him how to teach Bible studies. He got a chart. For 26 weeks, he taught Bible study. When they called him back, uh, I called him in the office. I said, you're never going to build another airplane. So that I, as of today, I'm putting you on full-time. Uh, uh, he was teaching 18 Bible studies a week. He had 250 people in 18 Bible studies. And he and, and we had a revival. In that revival, while it was laid off, we baptized 62 converts that he had won to God in 26 weeks. And uh, he has been full-time on my staff. We just celebrated 40 years full-time on my staff. And last year, last January, he taught his 32,000th Bible study. 
The United Pentecostal Church, if we ever wake up and quit licensing in deadheads, we can become the largest denomination in the world if we could just get our people turned on to working for God. Can I have an amen? Uh, we have a young man, 20 years old. His name is Trey. And, uh, and uh, uh, I put him on full-time on my staff. Uh, he teaches 15 Bible studies a week. He has a bus route with 60 kids on it and uh, has a campus ministry and has over 35 kids in his campus ministry. He is a soul-winning machine, praise God. And for fact, the last two months, he's won three brand new families to God that are living for God. And, and I, I believe in investing in soul winners. Amen. If you are not a soul winner, whatever you do before you die, learn soul winning. You're not born a soul winner. You have to learn soul winning. And I have it. Amen. And, uh, if you have a small church, don't blame others for pastoring a small church. You choose to pastor a small church. If you pastor a big church, it's because you choose to pastor a big church. Amen. Because there's no limit because the fields are so wide and there are so many people to harvest. There's not enough laborers. Can I have an amen? Uh, I want to recommend a book to you. Uh, it's called... The Spirit of Apollo. The Spirit of Apollo. Uh, you cannot buy the book in a bookstore. It's out of print. Uh, you have to get online to find it. Uh, the prices will vary between four, uh, between four, uh, between twenty and a thousand dollars. I will not take a thousand dollars for my book. Uh, it is a self-help book. Uh, chapter one of the book is entitled, Know Thyself. And uh, we are very deceiving people, but it'll help you understand who you are and the changes you need to make uh, in order to do a great work for God. Can I have a witness, somebody? Uh, I'm here today because I want you to become a soul winner. I, I'm not, I don't need a place to preach. In fact, I missed our holiday banquet last night uh, to be here because I, uh, I made a commitment back in January that I wanted 10,000 commitments to home Bible study uh, this year. And I believe that when I give the invitation uh, at the end of the day, uh, we will surpass 10,000 people that have committed to home Bible study this year in my seminars. Uh, I, I, be, I believe with everything in me that the greatest revival that UPC has ever seen is at our fingertips right now. Can I have a witness, somebody? Uh, I know that since COVID, uh, we have started 160, we have more than 160 Bible studies going in Wichita right now. Most of them have developed into groups, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. We have over 800 center adults uh, in 160 Bible studies, and I believe that we're fixing to have the greatest harvest, and we're having a great harvest, but I think we're fixing to see a multiplication of the harvest uh, in Wichita, Kansas. 
Listen, listen, listen. I feel the Holy Ghost here. We're not asking God for revival in Ohio. There is revival already in Ohio. The presence of God that I have felt already in this meeting tells me that God is working on your behalf. Can I have a witness? Uh, I, I trust and pray uh, that you would overlook the style of my preaching. Uh, I hope that you can overlook my arrogance and, and all that other kind of stuff and just hear what I got to say to you today. And I, I know everybody is not a Morel Cornwell. Thank God for that. Uh, I don't think Brother Stark could survive if there was a dozen of us in, in Ohio. We would drive him absolutely insane. Praise God. We've, I've already killed three superintendents. I don't want to kill anymore. Uh, praise God. Uh, we all have our, our style of preaching. And, uh, and just to show you, uh, we, I, I think Brother Bounds was teaching on multiple, multiple campus men, uh churches and uh and and uh, i believe in multiple ministries in, in a single church and uh brother Forsythe on my staff had been with me 40 years it's not how you preach that wins souls amen brother Forsythe has been on my staff 40 years uh, he has won more people to God than anybody in America. He has preached three times in my pulpit in 40 years. He can't preach. But he is one of the greatest soul winners in all of the United States. Amen. And uh, not only is he a great soul winner, Anytime he does not take his medication for 72 hours, he is a dead man. He works with a severe handicap. He has an incurable disease. And, uh, and uh, twice I have found him on his office floor uh, almost dead. And, and we had to rush him to the emergency room and get him uh, pumped with medication in order for him to survive. But yet he's like a machine, like a clock. He just keeps on ticking, praise God. He's had two heart attacks, uh, has a defibrillator, and still he teaches 18 Bible studies a week. Every week, praise God. I was doing a seminar in inner city Chicago. And uh, in that seminar, there was, they brought a young man uh, to the seminar, and he was in a wheelchair. Uh, he had a bib around his neck. Uh, he was spastic. He couldn't speak. Uh, he shook all over, uh, and uh, I, I don't know what disease, whether MD or MS, I don't know what disease he had, uh, uh, but he had a, a board attached to his wheelchair, and, uh, and in order to speak, uh, he'd, have to, he'd have to reach up, get a hold of the finger, and bring it down, and he would spell out words one letter at a time. And at the end of the seminar, he... Um, he has a nurse that takes care of him 24 hours a day. She came and said, he would like to speak with you. I stepped off the platform and I knelt down beside his wheelchair. He was so excited that somebody would speak with him that he shook that wheelchair. It took him about five minutes in order to calm down. And he brought his finger down and he spelled out these words, can I teach a Bible study?
I looked at him and I said, where there's a will, there is a way. And he went home in inner city Chicago. You know what a row house is, the row houses. And the nurse would push him down the sidewalk, knock on the door and say, he would like to speak to you. 1,000 doors were slammed in his face. One afternoon, she knocked on the door and said, he'd like to speak to you. And a young couple stepped off their porch and knelt beside him. And it, it took him all of five minutes to bring his finger down and spell out the words, can I teach you a home Bible study? And the couple said, oh, man. So, yeah. And he taught them exploring God's word. Twelve weeks of exploring God's word. One letter at a time with his finger. The pastor called me. He said, Pastor, he said, you got you to hear this. He said, I baptize a couple that that young man just won to God. Where there's a will, there is a way. Amen. I was preaching in Alexandria, Louisiana for uh, Brother uh, G.A. Mangan and uh, uh, done a seminar for them like I'm doing part of here today. And he said, uh, uh, when I got through the seminar, he said, there's a young man who wants to talk to you. He, they brought him in by ambulance, flat on his belly, his head turned towards the pulpit. He was a quadriplegic, paralyzed from his neck down. And, uh, and he asked me, he said, laying on that bed, he said, can I teach a Bible study? And I said, well, there's a will, there is a way. And so uh, he lived in a nursing home, and, uh, and he'd leave his door open. And when people would pass by, he'd say, hey, 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 come in here. And uh, people would hear him and run by his room <laughs> trying to get out of there. Finally, uh, uh, there was a, a man and his wife coming in the hallway, and he hollered at them. They came in the room, and uh, he said, w w you need a nurse? He said, no, I need you to come in here. And he can't move. He's laying flat on his belly. Uh, uh, laying on his belly with his head turned. He said, I want to teach you a Bible study. He said, how are you going to do that? He said, look under my bed. And he said, there's a chart under my bed. He said, pick it up. And the couple picked up the chart, said, would you set the chart up there on the tray table? They set the chart on the tray table. He said, now open the first page and uh, open the picture of the, picture of the house, uh, exploring God's word. And uh, uh, he said, uh, uh, I want to teach y'all this Bible study. It takes 12 weeks. And he, they started taking Bible study from the young man, and they had to turn the pages for him. He had the Bible study memorized, and all the scriptures memorized. And what he didn't have memorized, he had to have them read for him. And Brother Mangan brought me back uh, to his church the night. They brought uh, the boy's bed up on the platform and turned it towards the baptistry. I'm standing there beside him, and they baptized the couple in the name of Jesus. What excuse are you going to have for not being a soul winner? I'm a great preacher. I don't need to be a soul winner. Wrong. Amen. We all need to be soul winners in this hour. Your church needs you to be a soul winner.
Kind of, we have too many cities uh, that are being tied up by deadheads uh, that have never won, learned soul winning, uh, and they never are going to win souls, uh, but they're going to tie cities up for years. It's not fair on the city. It's not fair on the church uh, that we don't have soul winners uh, in every church. Amen. So keeping that in mind, I want to talk to you about uh, the three things that has to happen in order to win a soul to God. I'm going to use a backdrop, and I'm going to title this lesson uh, of the Exodus Principle. The Exodus Principle. And if you put on the screen uh, uh, Exodus, for me very quickly, uh, Exodus 1 and verse 8, Exodus chapter 1 and verse number 8. There arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal wise with them, lest they multiply. And it come to pass, when they fall without any war, they join also to our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities of Python, and Ramsey, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew and were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor, praise God, and made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar, brick, manner of service in the field, and all the service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. And then I want you to turn to the book of Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20 and verse number one. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which I brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of, if I say bondage, out of bondage, thou shalt have no other God before me, uh, thou shalt not take any grave. And so there's a delineation of ten commandments. And then uh, go to chapter 25, Exodus chapter 25. Uh, verse 1, and the Lord spake to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering. Every man which giveth it willing with his heart, you shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take them, gold and silver and brass, blue and purple, scarlet, fine linen, goats, hair, ramskin, dyed red, badger skin, shot and wood, oil for light, spice for anointing oil, sweet incense, onyx, stone, and stone to be set in the ephod and the breastplate. And verse number 8, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. The book of Exodus contains a thousand sermons. On every page in the book of Exodus, there is a sermon. It's one of the most exciting books in all of the Old Testament. Uh, whether you want to talk about the blood on the doorpost, the 10 plagues, uh, the bondage in, in uh, Egypt, uh, the making of brick, the building of the cities, uh, the tabernacle, uh, the 10 commandments, it is full of sermons. But the book of Exodus is divided basically into three major categories. And uh, we, we lose sight of Exodus because there's so many sermons that we lose sight of what God is trying to teach us in this book. Uh, the book of Exodus contains three major parts. Uh, it has 40 chapters. 19 chapter, the first 19 chapters of the book of Exodus is all about deliverance. Everybody you meet is going to have bondages in their life. And there's more bondages besides alcohol, drugs, and tobacco. Can I have an amen to that? 
And, uh, and uh, we, get, we get too many people baptized and, and even get the Holy Ghost before they get delivered. And we wonder why they backslide is because uh, they missed one of the processes uh, of salvation. And uh, the, first, the first step in salvation is there's got to be a deliverance from your bondage. And, and the Lord... The Lord gave us 19 chapters, 42% of the book of Exodus is all about deliverance from their bondage. Now, uh, and then at chapter 20, God takes them across the Red Sea, takes them immediately to Mount Sinai, and God gives Moses the Ten Commandments written by the finger of God on tables of stone. And chapter 20, chapter 21, chapter 22, chapter 23, chapter 24, five chapters is about the Ten Commandments or discipleship. It's amazing that he's only five chapters on discipleship, but 19 chapters on deliverance. So it tells me that it's much more difficult to get a person delivered than it is to get them discipled. And, uh, and then chapter 25, God said, let them make me a sanctuary. What is the sanctuary? It was a tabernacle in the wilderness. We would call it today the church. So the three parts of salvation is deliverance, discipleship, and church life. I'm not interested in seeing how many people I can baptize. I'm not interested in, 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 in the numbers of people I can get to repent. I'm not interested in the number of people that I can get discipled. What I'm interested in is the bottom line is how many people have go from being a sinner to becoming a child of God, living for God in the church of God. Can I have an amen? amen. And, uh, so I want to talk about these three steps uh, to salvation, not the three steps of salvation. We know that repentance, water baptism in Jesus name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, that is salvation. But how do you get to that place? And there are three steps uh, in getting to that place. Now, uh, a few years ago, uh, Larry Smith came through the country preaching uh, about a new Bible study. He had four sheets of paper and two tapes that he sold for 20 bucks, and he made $80,000 a year traveling, selling four sheets of paper and two tapes. And uh, everybody was advertising him of about 90% success rate. And wow, I, I had spent 40, over almost 40 years trying to establish a, a good home Bible study program throughout all of our churches. And then this dude comes up and shortens it up from 10 weeks or 12 weeks uh, to two lessons and 90% success rate. And he was, he was destroying, he was destroying the home Bible study program that I have spent a lifetime creating in the United Pentecostal church. And so I had him come to Wichita. And, I, and, and he taught the four, four sheets of paper and the two tapes and made a fortune at our church. And uh, 
I, I, eventually, I collected all the papers and all the tapes, and I threw them in a the trash can. But that's neither here nor there. And uh, I said, you, you're advertising 90% success rate with this Bible study. Oh, yeah. He said, nobody wants a long Bible study. Long Bible study, it takes long. You never can build a church with a long Bible study. Blah, 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 blah. Made me sick at my stomach. And I said, okay. I said, uh, how big is your church? He said, what do you mean? I said, I said you're 90% successful. How big is your church? How many, how many did you have last Sunday? I'm, I'm, I'm preaching at you anyway, okay? I said, how big is your church? He said, well, uh, 70. I said, I had more people than that in the bathrooms. <laughs> I said, I said, your four sheets of paper and your two tapes and your 90% success rate doesn't mean anything. I said, if I was 90% successful in what I'd done, I'd pastor the largest church in Pentecost. You can't get a person delivered, baptized, discipled, and living for God in two lessons. And, and I want to put the rest of this phony idea that people don't want a long Bible study. My average Bible study that I teach today lasts 35 weeks, not 12. When we, when we made the Exploring God Word chart and we met in St. Louis, uh, uh, I agreed to buy the first 2,000 charts uh, if they would print them. And that's how Exploring God's Word charts uh, came about. The reason we went to Exploring God's Word instead of Search for Truth is the original Search for Truth charts were plagiarized from Thomas Ede's panoramic view of the Bible. And it was really illegal for us to reprint them uh, because the, all the artwork and everything came and he added three or four pages to it and made it search for truth. And so uh, if the thing was going to go national, we had to have our own charts and our own Bible studies uh, because we would eventually get in trouble for plagiarism. So we put exploring God's word together and, and I did my best. I did my dead level best to make exploring God's word 20 lessons uh, instead of 12. And so they, they would not agree to that. So I add eight lessons to Exploring God's Word. And so my lessons are 20, but I, it takes me 35 weeks to get through uh, the lessons, praise God. And, and the reason is uh, but because, uh, let me ask you a question. You, you got a Bible? Is it, you got it with you? Uh, you have a Baptist Bible or an apostolic Bible? Scared to answer that, aren't you? Coward. <laughs> Open your Bible to Genesis 1 and 1. How many believe he's got a Baptist Bible? Raise your hand. How many believe he's got an apostolic Bible? Would you raise your hand? All right. So most people think you've got an apostolic Bible. Let's find out what kind of Bible you got. Genesis 1 and 1 for me. Read it for me. Praise God. Hallelujah. In the beginning, God. That's, that's Baptist-y. I thought you had an apostolic Bible. Anybody else got a Bible? What got, got a Bible? Read, read from your Bible. Genesis 1 and 1. In the beginning, God created. Oh, you got a Baptist Bible too. Let me read from my Bible. Genesis 1 and 1. Watch this now. This, 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 this is what we all believe, praise God. In the beginning, God created Acts 2.38.
We are so dogmatic that if we get in a house, I had, I had a preacher tell me that day, he said, I can go to Acts 238 from any verse in the Bible. And I said, well, that's bad. He said, why is that bad? I said, because you're going to lose a soul going to Acts 238 from every verse in the Bible. You cannot improve on God's way, okay? The Bible is a progressive revelation of Jesus Christ. And Genesis 1 and 1 is just as important as Revelation 21 20. The Bible is put together by God for us to win souls. If it took 19 years or 19 chapters in Exodus before they got to the Ten Commandments, why do we feel like we got to go to Acts 38 on day one? Can I have an amen? amen? If you take your Bible and throw it up in the air and let it land on the floor, 1,000 times out of 1,000 times, it's not going to open at Acts 238. God hid Acts 238 in the Bible so that the sinner could not accidentally find it. Boy, I would have crossed y'all's doctrine up so bad already. <laughs> When I start a Bible study, I don't care who I start with. I always start where God starts in the beginning. God, the book of Genesis is laid out in such a way that every story in the book of Genesis is talking about somebody's bondage. It's the greatest soul winning book in all the Bible. From the fall of man to Cain and Abel to Noah and the flood to the Tower of Babel to the call of Abraham. Every story is addressing some kind of bondage in somebody's life. And so when I start in the book of Genesis, I'm, I, let, me, let me phrase this. The Bible study teacher is the Bible evangelist. What we think of as evangelists that come and preach for us on Sunday or weekend or a special service, they're not evangelists. They're traveling ministries. We need traveling ministries. I love traveling ministries. I use them all the time. They're not evangelists. The evangelists are the home Bible study teacher that goes into a sinner's home, sits down at a kitchen table, and explains the gospel of Jesus Christ and wins them to God. That's what evangelist means. That's what evangelism is. And, 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 and an evangelist is not known uh, by his decibel level or his ability to orate great messages. Uh, an evangelist uh, has the ability to sit down with a sinner and bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why when it was a transition from the Apostle Paul to Timothy, and Timothy took over the work of the Apostle Paul, before the ax went to Paul's neck, he made sure to tell Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. You're going to be an apostle. You're going to be a great preacher. You're going to be a pastor. But don't forget, you've got to do the work of an evangelist. 
presence of God in this room. So when I start a Bible study, uh, I mailed out 10,000 letters in one zip code. And uh, there's 10,000 residential homes per zip code. We have something like uh, 35 or 40 zip codes in our city, in our area. And I, I chose a zip code where I thought I could win somebody in that zip code. And I mailed out 10,000 letters inviting people to take a home Bible study from me. I got one response out of 10,000 letters. And uh, the lady called me. She said, are you the, the, the pastor that teaches the home Bible study or the Bible study? And I said, yes. She said, would you send me one? I said, I'll do it. I'll come. She said, what do you mean you'll come? I said, I said it's, it's a personal home Bible study. Oh, he said, it's not a by mail thing? I said, no, I, I come in person. Well, he said, uh, she said, I'm not interested in changing churches. She said, I'm a, a Sunday school teacher in Greater St. Mary's Baptist Church. And I, I was needing some new material so I, I could teach my Sunday school class. And I said, well, I said, I'm the man. I said, let my wife and I come see you. So we got in a car. We drove to her home. Uh, it was an African-American lady. Uh, her name was uh, Rosie Hughes. She's a national famous person. She's been inducted into the NAACP Hall of Fame. Uh, she was one of four African-American teenagers that went into Dockham's Drugstore on Main and Douglas in Wichita and went and demanded to be served at the, at the front counter instead of going around to the back. And, and she was the shot that was heard around the world that started the American Civil Rights Movement that inspired Rosa Parks to, to do what she'd done. And when I got to her home, I was, I was so shocked. She is one of the most beautiful, elegant, sophisticated ladies you'll ever encounter. A very extremely professional, extremely uh, elegant. And uh, we walked in and, and I took my chart and I explained what I'd done. She said, well, I'm not interested in changing churches. I said, I said, if you'll let me teach you a Bible study, I'll make a deal with you. Number one, I won't invite you to church. And I said, number two, I know more about your Baptist doctrine than you do. And I promise not to cross your Baptist doctrine. That quietened the crowd, didn't it? And I said, I, I will not try to proselyte you. I promise to teach you the word from Genesis to Revelation. And she believed me and she accepted that. So I started teaching her a Bible study. And I started Genesis 1 and 1. And started working my way through. And her eyes would get big as, as she would discover new secrets about uh, the book of Genesis. And, and uh, I, I did not know what her bondage was. But I knew she had a bondage. Because if you don't have a bondage, you could see Acts 2.38 in one session, be converted and live for God forever. So there's a reason why people don't live for God, why people don't come to church, why people don't read their Bible. It's because they have bondages uh, that are locking up their life. And God has chosen you and I to unlock that bondage and get them delivered from that bondage. And so, uh, after a while, she said, uh, Pastor, she said, I, I, I got somebody that needs this Bible study worse than I do. I said, okay, uh, you can bring in another couple. She brought in another couple. Uh, Agnes and Clarence came in. 
And, uh, and every Bible study, when I teach a lesson, please observe, when I teach the lesson, when I come back to do lesson two, I review lesson one. I set my chart up from the very first page. I flip the chart, and I ask questions about what I taught the previous week. When I get to lesson five or six, uh, I review all four or five lessons that I've taught before. And each week, uh, I'm teaching less and less new material. Are you learning? Nobody says you've got to teach lesson one in one hour and come next week and teach lesson two in one hour. That's, that's, that's nowhere in the manual. And when I'm on lesson eight or nine, I, tell you, I, I, I flip the charge over and over and review every lesson by asking questions. I want to know if they're picking up what I've taught. Are they learning? And when I get to start a lesson, lesson nine, I may only have 20 minutes or 15 minutes to preach because I don't teach longer than 55 minutes. They may want you to teach three hours, but at four o'clock when I get in the morning to go to work, they're going to hate your guts. Get in, get out, drink their coffee, eat their chocolate pie in between. And uh, so I caught Agnes and Clarence up to where I had Rosie, and, uh, and, and they got involved in a Bible study. They said, I got somebody else. Remember, they brought in another lady and her husband who was the juvenile court director, and I, I caught that person up. Then they brought in Tish Knight, and I caught, caught her up. Then they brought in Bobby Jones, her husband. I caught him. First thing you know, I got 12 African-American families in Bible study. And I hadn't even got out of Genesis yet. And so uh, I, I got them all about the same level of knowledge, and, and we got into the New Testament. I got to Acts 2.38. And, and I taught Acts 38 as a matter of fact, not as a controversy. That's good. Yes. Yes. You missed that one, okay? Yes. I taught Acts 38 as a matter of fact, not as a controversy. In, in Search for Truth, the original Search for Truth, they got a chart that says, what about Matthew 28 and 19? And they pick a fight on the charts before you ever get started. And, and, and so... Uh, one night, I went there to teach on Friday night, and uh, Agnes raised her hand. She said, Brother Cornwell. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, we're all ready to get baptized in Jesus' name. And we want this here Holy Ghost. She said, well, we got a problem. I said, a problem? I said, well, what's your problem? She said, will we be welcome in your church? I thought, what do you mean, would you be welcome in my church? I said, what do you mean? Would you be welcome in my church? She said, well, if you haven't noticed, we are black. I said, oh, my God. I grabbed my wife by the arm. I jerked her up. I said, we got to get out of here. So they're going to take a switchblade knife and start cutting us up. Their bondage came to the surface. They had a racial bondage. I said, well, let me just share this with you. I said, I have a, an African-American board member. I said, I have 25 African-American Sunday school teachers. My choir director is African-American. 
She said, well, when you die, will the next pastor accept us? They, that bondage was boiling in them. I said, lady, we don't have but one race in the United States. That's the human, human race. That Sunday, I baptized all 12 families in Jesus' name. You're not going to do that by jumping on Act 238 the first night. Are you listening to me? You got to learn to be patient. I know what you believe because you're toting a card in your pocket. Okay? Let me give you another example about bondage, okay? Uh, my, my name is Cornwell. But when I go to buy a car, it becomes Cornwell Stein. It'll sink in after a while. And my wife, we sold our home, and she said, I, I had a car with 200,000 miles on it. Both quarter panels rear were caved in. The shocks hung off and drug the ground. We go down, look like a merry-go-round going to... My poor little wife was so embarrassed to go anywhere because the car was peeling paint, shocked with drained ground, and the quarter panels were caved in. And uh, she said, you're going to buy me a car today. Well, you know, the best way to stay married is simply obey them to have the rule over you. <laughs> hey, I'm henpecked. I'm going to tell you right now, I just like the old hen is pecking. We sleep in closets. <laughs> Went to the Oldsmobile place. I was going to buy a big Oldsmobile. And, and I'm, I'm a country boy. I'm used to walking up and kicking a tire, making a deal right there on the parking lot, shaking a hand with a salesman, and signing papers, and you bought a car. Well, when I moved to Wichita to the big city, I walked there and said, I'm, I want to buy a car. I said, I told him what I wanted on it. So we got one. I said, I know it. I done seen it. And uh, he said, come on back with me. We went in this little cubicle. They brought in a closer. And he said, now, sir, exactly what would you give us for this car? I said, I don't know. How much you want for it? <laughs> well, he said, that's not the way we do things here. You tell us what you'll give us and we'll start there. I said, well, I don't know what to tell you because I don't know what you want for the car. So they brought in another another guy and and they try to put a closing on me i said i tell you what let's do i'll write down what i'll give you for the car you write down what you'll take with the car and we'll turn them over at the same time <laughs> we were 25 dollars apart and i wouldn't budge and he wouldn't budge i said okay look my wife said i gotta buy a car today if you don't come down 25 more dollars, I'm going to go down to the next dealership. He knew I wanted that car. I'm sorry, suckers. They're trained to spot fish. I said, I'm going to go buy a car today. And if you don't come down $25, I'm going to buy another car. He said, we ain't budget. I said, okay. See y'all later. Well, got my old Toyota, broken down Toyota. Two quarter panels caved in. Shots hanging on the ground. Paint peeling. 
200,000 miles. Drove down to the Pontiac place. Drove out a lot, found me a car I wanted. Came in and said, I want a car with this, this, this on. And, it, and Sim said, we got one. We got one of those. I said, okay. And I said, look, Jack. I just came from the Oldsmobile place. And they treated me like dirt. And I said, I don't, I don't want no closing on me. Just tell me what you want up front. And give me the best price you got up front. I don't feel like dickering with you. I was lying. I love dickering. So he said, here, I'll pull, they pull the car. We want you to drive. I said, no, I've driven a car before. Let's talk. So we sit down, and uh, he said, all right, what do, you want, what do you give us for this car? I said, you're starting the same junk. You almost been trained by the same person. And, and he was flustered, and he told me what he wanted for the car. And I said, that's too high. He said, that's the best price I can give you. I said, still too high. They brought in the sales manager. So it's two against one now. And, and we got to arguing. Then they brought in the general manager. And there's three against one. And we're fighting on the showroom floor. We got a crowd has gathered around us. <laughs> I mean, it, it was worth pagan mission to watch that. And about the time the owner of the dealership comes out, walks among about 40 people and said, what's going on? What's going on here? I said, I'll tell you what's going on. Who are you? He said, I'm on this place. I said, I'll tell you what's going on. These people are trying to rob me blind is what they're trying to do. <laughs> the guy said, get this guy out of here. Get him out of here. I mean, give him what he wants. Get him out of here. And so I bought the car with what I wanted to pay for it. And um, the, the owner's walking away. And he stopped. He turned around and he said, what kind of work do you do? I said, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. He said, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. He said, we want you to come work with us Monday morning. He said, you're the most effective salesman I've ever seen in my life. He said, we want you to go work for us in the mo uh, Monday morning. I said, I, I, I just told you as a preacher, I don't believe in working. <laughs> Hallelujah. The next week, I went back into the dealership, and I knocked on the owner's door, and I was standing there, and I said, I just want to stop and tell you, thank you for what you've done for me. He said, what? I said, I want to thank you for what you've done for me. He said, I've never had nobody come back and tell me that. I said, well, I'm, I'm very appreciative. You did things for me that was above and beyond ordinary, and I just want to tell you thank you. And the next week I came in and I knocked on his door and uh, he offered me a cup of coffee. We talked. The next week I went back in and we talked. And uh, so one day uh, I walked in and he came out and he greeted me and he said, Pastor, come on in my office. I said, what would you call me? He said, Pastor, aren't you pastor? I said, yes. I said, well, if I'm going to be your pastor, I want to see where your tithing check is. That's right. I ain't a fool. <laughs> Every two weeks I went in, and for two years I tried to get a Bible study with him. And I kept striking out. One day he was in Denver, Colorado, on his way home from a dealership meeting somewhere, 
and it got snowed in, went in the bookstore and found a book called The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. It's a book of prophecy. He read that book, scared the daylights out of him. When he got back to Wichita, Monday morning, he called me and said, Pastor, I need to see you right now. So I went down. Him and his partner met with me for lunch. And uh, they got to asking questions because his partner read the book too. It scared him as bad as it scared the other guy. And uh, I started explaining a little bit about prophecy. He said, you still teach that Bible study? And I said, yes. He said, would you teach us a Bible study? I didn't have to ask him. He's asking me. So I start. Uh, I said, okay, January the 14th, 1980. Uh, I started a Bible study on Tuesday night. But that Tuesday, he goes home and tells his wife, uh, we got a visitor coming tonight. She said, who is it? So it's a preacher coming to our house. And Janet said, Steve, are you sick? We've never had a preacher in our home before. He said, well, we got one coming tonight. Going to teach us a Bible study. He said, is there something wrong? Do, do I need to call your doctor? Do you need a counselor? You, you may call the psychiatrist. He said, I'm, I'm all right. We've got a preacher coming. She said, we've never had a preacher before. Something's wrong here. She said, I'm going to call my daddy. She calls her daddy, who owns the largest Chevrolet dealership in the Midwest. Said, Daddy, said, my husband's sick. Said, he's got a preacher coming to our house. Oh, my God, what kind of preacher is he? I don't know. Call and ask him. So Steve calls it, Brother Cornwell. He said, what kind of preacher are you? I said, I'm a good one. He said, okay. He calls his father-in-law and said, he's a good preacher. <laughs> he, this guy's a heathen. All car dealers are heathens. I hope there ain't no car dealers here. <laughs> and uh, so he said, no, ask him what denomination he is. Well, Steve misunderstood. So he calls, he said, a preacher, what nomination are you? I said, nomination? Uh, I'm a Republican. Calls his daddy back and said, he's a Republican. <laughs> he said, call him back and says, what kind of church does he preach at? I said, I'm a Pentecostal. He said, Pentecostal. Okay. He calls his daddy back. He said, dad, he's a Pentecostal. His dad said, oh, my God, Steve. <laughs> his father-in-law was from San Angelo, Texas, where they have real holy rollers. He said, Steve, you got a holy roller preacher coming to your house. He said, oh, my God. He said, don't worry. Me and my wife are coming. We'll save you. <laughs> Harold and Chris come to Bible. He come back and said, uh, preacher, said, my mother-in-law and father-in-law is going to sit in our Bible study tonight. I thought, oh, my God. I find one heathen in Wichita. He's <laughs> going to bring in the Pope to save him. Steve, Harold was an alcoholic. Harold was a gambler. Harold was a bigger heathen than Steve. And so he comes and I teach that first lesson on creation. Harold stands up. He says, all right, preacher. If I'm going to have to change, my friends are going to have to change with me. He said, next week, we want the same lesson taught again. 
He brings in the Honda dealer next week. I got the Pontiac dealer, the Chevrolet dealer, and now I got the Honda dealer. I teach that first lesson again. He said, now next week, we want you to teach the same lesson over again. So the next week, they bring in the Buick dealer. I am surrounded by the enemy. Taught that first lesson. He said, next week, same lesson. So I come back the next week. They bring in the Jaguar uh, uh, Mercedes dealer. It's getting better. Tithing is getting better. All right, they said, we want you to teach it one more time. They bring in that corporate lawyer. It's getting good now. Here I am. I pull up in their driveway. I'm surrounded by Jaguars, Mercedes, Buicks, Hondas, brand new cars. And I'm 27 years old. My wife is right out of Kings Dump, Louisiana. And we're in the midst of who's who in Wichita. And, uh, and before, the, before it gets over, I've got 37 adults. That's who's who in Wichita. They bring in Peter Ritter, who owns Knight Ritter Publication, that owns 375 newspapers in the United States. Heathens of heathens. And every one of them smoke. Every one of them drink. I'm famous because I'm in the Guinness Book of World Records. Because in my Bible study, the most people get drunk in one hour Bible study. They all bring their highballs and their liquor to Bible study. Every one of them smoke. You can't see the face of those that are sitting on the back road. I, I, I learned to teach on my knees because it was the only place I could breathe. They offered me chairs, and I said, no, God said for me to speak, to teach y'all on my knees. Heathens. I, I start teaching. I, I finally get to Noah and the flood. I've been taught weeks, and I finally get to Noah and the flood. And, and I thought, how do you teach Noah and the flood to, to car dealers and lawyers? I got three real estate brokers. The owner of the largest bank in Kansas, Entrust Bank, they got the arena named after Entrust Bank, is in the Bible study. Manufacturing owners are in that Bible study. 37 heathens. And I thought, how do you teach Noah and the flood? And I remembered when I was an evangelist, I preached a youth camp in the Redland Mountains in California, and I preached on Noah and the flood. You've never heard Noah and the flood preach. You hear me preach it. I talk about uh, the, God says Noah built an ark, and Noah building the ark, and they're having beer parties and orgies around the ark and dancing around the ark, and Noah's out building an ark, and he's a preaching righteousness. And uh, finally, uh, the gangplank is built, and they walk up the gangplank, animals, and, and the last thing uh, Noah hears from the crowd, he says, Hey, Noah, how many bathrooms is in the ark? And Noah said, Oh, man, I forgot to put a bathroom in the ark. And, and as God shuts the door, Noah screams out, But I'd rather be in the stink than in the storm. 
And God shut that door. And they dance around the ark for a week and finally it starts sprinkling and raining for the first time. And they get to knocking at that door and, 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 and the water rises up about their knees and they start clawing at that door trying to get in. It gets up to their waist and their fingernails are broken off and, and every time their heart beats blood, it's pulsating out of all ten fingers and bloody waters around the ark. They try to scratch their way in and they gets up to their neck and they swim over the trees screaming at Noah from the treetops and the water keeps rising. They swim over the hills and they keep screaming from the hilltops and finally there's one man left on the top of Mount Everest and I stood up on top of their chair and I said and God reached down his finger, put his finger on his nose and shoved that sucker under. When I got through, they had coffee and all kind of desserts on the counter. 37 people stood up and like toy soldiers, they marched out. Their mouth open, didn't say a word, didn't talk to nobody and walked out. Steve said, preacher, you ran everybody off. I said, I was just teaching the word. My wife, getting in the car, tears are running down her face. She's hot as a $2 pistol. She said, you ran everybody off. She said, why did you have to be so melodramatic? Why can't you teach like an ordinary person? I said, what did I do? She said, you got so melodramatic. You teach that to kids. You don't teach that like that to adults. And she fussed at me all the way home. I feel like a sheep killing dog. Tuesday night, I go back. Everybody's there. I walk in, we start Bible study, and Donna, the real estate broker, raised her hand. She said, Brother Carnwell, I'd like to give a testimonial. I said, where'd you learn testimonial from? <laughs> she said, I went to church and I got gloriously saved and baptized. I said, why did you come to my church? She said, come to your church. She said, you scared the hell out of me. I said, if I come to your church and got any scared, I wouldn't be able to live. <laughs> Seven of them had went and got gloriously saved at their church on another church Sunday. Burn me up. I put weeks in them. And they all went and joined another church. And so when the seventh one gave the testimony, I said, okay, let's open our Bible. And, and Steve kept trying to interrupt, and I kept kicking him on the ankle. Shut up. Shut up. So when they all left that night, Steve looked at me eye to eye and he said, you know they didn't get saved? I said, Steve, I know that he get saved and you know that he get saved, but they don't know it yet. Now what would you have done? Would you have tried to argue with them that they didn't get saved? I reached them on knowing the flood. I scared them. I convicted them. They reacted. It lets me know that they did have a heart. And I just kept teaching. Lesson after lesson after lesson. We got in the New Testament. And uh, I got off on Act 38 and speaking in tongues. I brought tapes of tongues and interpretation. And I played it for the whole Bible study. 
And we have somebody in our church that gives tongues. It'll raise a hair up on the back of your neck. And I've got a lady that interprets. Man, it's unbelievable. And for two hours, I played that tape over and over and over and over and over again. One Sunday, they all came to church, all 37 of them. And I thought, they all showed up at the same time. And I said, what are y'all doing here this morning? He said, we're on our way to Las Vegas. <laughs> Las Vegas. They're going to Las Vegas. I said, y'all got a convention out there? No, we're going gambling. I've been teaching Bible study for nine months. And they're all backsliding worse than what they were when it started. <laughs> the Holy Ghost fell that morning, and half of them got the Holy Ghost that morning. <laughs> they got to the airport. They're all on plane, and uh, Vic stands up and says, okay, folks, listen to me now. He said, we're all going to Vegas. He said, we all love Brother Cornwell. He said, here, we're going to make a deal right now. Half of our winnings are going to go to the church. And they all, all agreed that half the winnings would come to the church. The next Sunday, they spent a whole week there. The next Sunday night, they showed up at church on Sunday night. We passed the plates like ordinary. Monday morning, my secretary comes and said, Pastor, you better come over here. I said, what's wrong? She said, just please come over here. I, I, I rushed over to church. I thought we was getting robbed or something. Got over there. And she said, look here, there were rolls of $100 bills. Every one of them suckers won big time at the roulette wheels. We, we only had 100 people then, and I got well over 1,000 now, and I still haven't been able to break that tithing record. They, du they dump rolls of $100 bills in the offering plate. The largest tithing Sunday we've ever had in the history of our church. Well, when I went to Bible study the next week, I was wearing a pair of new cowboy boots. <laughs> week after week after week, I saw each one of them address their bondage and release it. And when they release their bondage, something happens. Now they are ready for discipleship or the law. When Rosie Hughes and that group addressed their bondage and they yielded it to God. How did they yield it to God? The word went in and the trash comes out. Word in, trash out. And I don't try to deliver them, but as I put the word into them, the word is going to attack their bondages. And if you have enough word in them when they have to address their bondage, the word that you have put into them will help them through that time of deliverance. Can I have an amen? It is so important that you understand that, that one lesson may not deliver a person. A person may not even know their own bondage. It doesn't matter whether they're dressed in a suit and tie or a tuxedo or they're a bum on the street. 
somewhere in their heart, they've got bondages keeping them from God. And only the word can break that bondage. Yes. Yes. Can I have a witness, somebody? And that's why my Bible studies last so long is because I'm going to teach them until I bring their bond to the surface. They got to deal with it. Now, here's the danger of that, okay? That, that when you bring them to that place where the, 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 the bondage is revealed to themselves, they got to make a decision. The Baptists have it right making a decision for Christ. They have to make a decision. If they make the wrong, listen to me now, if they make the wrong decision and they choose to retain their bondage, three things are going to happen. Either they're going to quit answering the door or they'll want you to keep coming and be their personal pan pastor and they're never going to make a commitment to God or they'll simply say, I don't want Bible study anymore. I never stop a Bible study until I discern that a person has come face to face with their bondage and they have made the wrong decision. And when I discern they make the wrong decision, I finish the lessons. I teach one hour, one lesson, one hour, and I finish the lessons and I say, we're finished. Here's what's strange. Once they are exposed to the word of God, I'm teaching people now that I taught 20 years ago that made the wrong decision. And I shut the Bible study down. And the hell they've gone through for the last 20 years. Now they're turning back and saying, I want Bible study again. And they're making sure that they don't reject this time. Amen. One of the things that happens is, please understand, during World War II, the Marines in the South Pacific invaded islands called island hopping. And the Marines would storm the shore and, and establish a beachhead. And then they would bring the Marines out and bring the army in to do the mop up. And what we don't understand is our soul winners, they are the Marines. They establish a beachhead. They get a person one to God talking in tongues. And then we expect them to disciple them and to bring them into church life. When, when, and all of a sudden, they're so busy discipling people that they don't have time to go back and reach somebody new. So I've got people, I've got people that are fantastic Bible teachers and disciples. I turn those new converts over to them and let my soul winners go and find somebody else. This is a team effort. Nobody wins a soul by themselves. I feel the Holy Ghost. It's so important that you have a working relationship, not only with your church, but with your individual people. I got one man that he's never won anybody to God, but he is fantastic at taking a new convert and discipling them. He got patience and knowledge, and I, I remove the new convert from a soul winner, turn them over to David, and, and let the soul winner go and find a new couple that he can win to God. Can I have an amen to that? And, and I found out, uh, uh, Brother Foresight in my church that's taught 32,000 Bible studies, uh, he, he not only can win people, but he loves discipleship. He loves it. And, and, and that, that's the nearest thing he can have to preaching is his discipling.
And about every three months, I have to go to him, and I have to clean out his schedule, take his new converts, and put them with other people because he'll disciple them for six or seven years, and, and, but, and it won't have time to reach other people. You've got to discern who in your church is a Bible evangelist who can win people and use them to win people and then find other people that can disciple people that he wins. It, it, Am I clear on that? Yes. It's so important. So the first thing has got to happen. You've got to teach until you bring a person to a crisis. Every Bible study that I've ever taught, I'm going to bring them to a crisis. I'm going to, with the Word of God, cause them to come face to face with their bondage. There's a danger because if they reject that, they're going to reject you. I tell people all the time, if you have a family member that wants a Bible study, have someone else teach your family. I tried for years to win my family to God. And I went to, and I was getting a lot of criticism for my seminars around the country and, uh, and from my district. So I made a decision, I'm not going to do any more seminars. I'm not traveling anymore. My own wife's pastor called me, said, I want you to come do a seminar for me. I said, I'm not doing any more seminars. I quit. He said, no, you're not quitting, son. You're coming teaching me one more Bible study, a seminar. I said, no, I'm not. He said, yes, you are. And, and he was adamant. So I said, okay, I'm going to teach you this one last. You're not telling anybody I'm teaching. I'll come do it. I went and taught a Bible study seminar. And there was a new convert sitting on a second row. And I taught for 15 hours in that seminar. And when I got through, that boy, that new convert, started teaching Bible studies. And he drove 30 miles to my family's, my parents' home. I had never made headway with my, my family. He knocked on the door and my dad answered and he said, said Mr. Coleman said, uh, told him who he was, I'm, I'm Gary Howington. And uh, uh, I, I go to church up at Wisner, uh, 30 miles away. He said, your son taught me how to teach Bible study. And I was just thinking, I'd like to teach y'all a Bible study. My dad accepted a Bible study, and my mother accepted a Bible study, and my brothers and sisters accepted that Bible study, and we baptized every member of my family because Gary Howington, that I taught to teach a Bible study, went and taught my family a Bible study. Look, look, we are so intricately weaved together. We need one another. Can I have an Amen. Let me tell you something, Pastor. If you're an isolationist, you need to cut that garbage out. And you need to start blending in uh, with preachers around you of like precious faith uh, and come out of your shell. Come on now, I'm preaching to you. Your district needs you, and your district ne uh, you need your district, and you need your neighboring pastors. But tell you something, we need one another. Can I have an amen? Now, I had a lady call me. She said, are you the preacher that teaches Bible studies? You know, you teach enough Bible studies, you'll get known, people talk about you. And I said, yes, I am. She said, I'd like to have a Bible study. I said, okay. I said, what's your address? She said, that's a problem. I live 60 miles southwest of Wichita in a place called Anthony, Kansas. It's a small town in the middle of the Kansas wheat fields. There's nothing between Wichita and Anthony except wheat fields. 
I said, okay, I'll come. She said, I got another problem. She said, my husband hates preachers. I said, we got a problem. And she said, uh, if a preacher comes to our home, he's going to kill him. I said, we really have a problem. Houston, we got a problem. I said, well, how about I come teach you at noontime on your lunch break? She said, that's a good idea. I met her, my wife and I met her at her home at noon, taught her from noon, from 12 to 1, and she'd go back to work. I'd done that for about six months, and I won her to God. Now, listen carefully. She made so many changes in her life. Her husband liked the changes that she was making. He called me and said, I want a Bible study. I went back and retaught him a Bible study and won him to God. And then uh, I'm a friend with, with Dave Wilkerson that wrote Crossing the Switchblade, and he sent me a 16-millimeter film called The Road to Armageddon. And so I advertised in their little town paper that I was going to show The Road to Armageddon uh, at the Municipal Auditorium. Had 37 people show up. Got three families out of that film, showing that film to take Bible study. I won those three families to God. We showed the film the second time. Had another group showed up. I had seven families that took Bible study from me. I won those seven families to God. Now I've got 69 adults in one living room. All of them are paying tithe. All of them are, are, are coming around to holiness. They all become members of First Pentecostal Church in Wichita, 60 miles away. I bring a preacher in. He has a burden for them. I took up an offering from those 69 people. We buy church paid for it cash, put a pastor in, and now it's a sovereign church. If I was going to start a church in Ohio, if by chance I get run out of Kansas, I'm coming to Ohio. What cities you got available? You got a city available? What, what, what city? What, what, what's your target city? How, how big is it? You got anything bigger than that? I, I got ADHD. Cleveland. All right, Cleveland. I'm going to go to Cleveland. I'd move to Cleveland. I'd get me a job. I'd get myself completely out of debt. Y'all not listening. Why are you trying to be a missionary and you owe so much money you can't see straight? Why don't you prepare yourself to be a missionary? Get out of debt. Instead of wearing $250 pair of shoes, do like me. My shoes cost 37 bucks, and they were gift to me. Uh, these had four pair of shoe strings already. I'll wear them out, praise God. Buying shoes is a waste of money. You're not, you're not getting the point here. If you're going to do a work for God, you've got to prepare yourself to do a work for God. You need to do plastic surgery. Cut your credit cards up. Get rid of your Walmart credit card. Get rid of your Sears and Roebuck. They don't have Sears and Roebuck anymore. Get rid of your Visa card. Get rid of your Discover cards. Instead of having a $700 car payment, 
buy you a jalopy. Let the shock fall off. Let the quarter panels cave in. It'll get you from A to B. Nobody says you gotta have a Mercedes to do a work for God. Can I have an amen? amen. Prepare yourself to do a work for God. You, you, you can't knock doors if you're having to work 70 hours a week to make enough money to pay all your bills. You're not listening. And when I, when I get established, then I would learn everything I could about my community and my area. Amen. Uh, I, I read Louis L'Amour. That's a great book. Outside the Bible, that's a great book. And uh, he talked about the outlaw trail in, his, in a lot of his books. That outlaw trail runs right through my farm. Uh, where my farm is, uh, the Chautauqua Indians uh, settle right there. And, and I learned about the Osage Hills and the Osage Indians and the Badlands and the Gypsum Hills. I learned about Dodd City and Matt Dillon, praise God. I didn't know nothing about Kansas. I learned everything I could about Kansas, everything I could about Wichita. Did you know that Wichita, Kansas uh, won World War II? We built half the world's airplanes. We built all the bombers that bombed uh, Japan and Germany. Cessna started there. Beach aircraft started there. We, we built 52 737s a month. Learn all the... We have the largest grain storage elevators in the world. I learned all I, I want to know about my community. I want to know what kind of people I had to deal with. Amen. You understand? This is a people business. Can I have an amen? amen. And, and, and I, I would start a Bible study, and I'd start teaching Bible studies, and I'd get me a Bible study, and I would teach it in their home, and the reason I teach Bible studies in their home is because when I get ready to leave, I'm ready to leave. You teach it in your home, they may not be ready to leave at 3 o'clock in the morning. And, and besides that, uh, if you teach it in their home, you ain't got to clean up after yourself. You got a built-in custodian. You got a built-in cook. Get cakes and pies and coffee. And, and when, I, when I get that Bible study going my way, I'll bring in somebody else to that Bible study. And you know what? Do you, do you know what? There are 52 Sundays in a year. Y'all know that? 52 Sundays. You know what that means? That means there's 52 revivals a year. And did you know God give us six days to prepare for every revival? It's not what you do on Sunday morning. It counts. It's what you do when you wake up on Monday morning. You start preparing for next Sunday. We start visitation. We don't do visitation on Saturday. We start visitation Monday morning at 9 o'clock. And we stop visitation at Saturday at 3 o'clock. I give my people three hours off on Saturday. I'm a slave driver. Sound to me like Brother Watts is too. I don't want to be a member of your church. We've got to do all that. It's very important to understand that it's, it's not an empty building that you want to preach to. You want to preach to people. Yes. Start with the Bible study. I get so anointed sitting at a kitchen table. For fact, I'll quit my pulpit before I quit teaching Bible studies. You hear what I said? I'll quit my pulpit before I quit teaching Bible studies. Because I know what I'm doing in a Bible study. I don't get much accomplished in the pulpit. Can I have an amen? I was teaching a seminar in a district not too far from here, north, south, east, and west of here. 
And when I got through teaching, this lady walked up to me. She said, I don't like you at all. I said, ditto. She said, what does that mean? That means I don't like you either. She was astounded that a preacher didn't like her. And she said, you're meaner than a junkyard dog. I said, if you would stay out of the garbage dump, you'd have never known that. And she said, I'm glad I'm not a member of your church. I said, not you're as glad as I am. We don't, like, we, we don't like to hear straight things, uh, but I want to help you today. You don't have to have a building to build a church. Can I have an amen? I got, I got a man moved in our district. First thing he done was he bought a building. Had nobody in it. He's having to pay the utility bill, the cleaning bill. He's having to pay the note, all this kind of stuff. He don't have any people. That don't make sense. I got another guy that went to, uh, to, to South Hutchinson, which is 40 miles northwest of us, started a Bible study. Won a family to God. Started another Bible study. Won a family to God. Brought them together. Formed a little group. And, and, and all of a sudden, he's got 25 people in his living room. And we just bought him a building, a brand new building uh, came available, about 8,000 square foot uh, with 11 acres and a cell tower at the intersection of US 50 and Kansas 96, uh, the most prime spot in all of, 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 of the city. And uh, it was a Mennonite church and, and two Mennonite churches merged and said, oh, they got to sell one of the buildings. Are they going to sell this? They wanted $565,000 for it. I went up and looked at the building and I said, I'll tell you what. Uh, I'll give you $150,000 cash for it. They said, are you crazy? I said, take it to the board and find out what, what they think. They took it to the board and they said, okay, uh, we'll sell it to you for $150,000. I bought it for $150,000. We moved in. I think he had 57 this past Sunday. Had $7,000 offering Sunday. And, and uh, so the sale tower paid us $770 a month. We collect $770 a month for four years. And a guy from California called and said, we want to buy the sale tower. I said, okay, well, uh, what do you give us for it? He said, we'll give you 15 years of payments for it, $126,000. I, I had already collected $24,000 from the rent, $126,000, made $150,000. We got the building uh, and 11 acres, uh, and it didn't cost us a dime. That, that, that's what we're talking about. When you step out by faith, uh, God will start supplying. He's not going to supply before you step out, but if you'll step out and say, all right, I'm going for broke. When I went to Wichita, when I went to Wichita, had 20 people. They all sat on the back four rows of the church. And uh, they noticed I, I didn't get a job. And I got nasty notes under my door saying, when are you going to get a, a job like the rest of us? And I finally stood in the pulpit and said, I'm not here to work. I'm a preacher. I don't believe in working. Boy, that made them mad. I didn't call no business meeting that year because they'd have fired me if I had a. I said, I mean, if I wanted a job, I worked as a chemical engineer. I have a bachelor's degree in chemical engineering and almost a master's degree in biomedical engineering. If I wanted to work, I'd go find an engineering job and make a living, praise God. If I'm going to go for broke, I'm going for broke. Are you listening to me? Young people, listen to me. If, if you're going to do a work for God, stay out of debt and be willing to go for broke. Can I have an amen? 
You can build a church with home Bible study. You can build a church if you can get a burden for people. You can build a church if you won't become an isolationist, but just become insulated. I know the Bible says, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Did he say that? He said, come out, didn't he? But what about the verse where it says, go ye into all the world? The reason you came out is so you could qualify to go back in. I'll hear more cussing in a week's time than I will praising. But when you're insulated instead of isolated. Amen. Everybody is a candidate for the gospel. Even people that are involved in things that we don't like. Can I have an amen? I won the head basketball coach for Rose Hill High School. I won three prostitutes off the streets of Wichita. You cannot tell that they were ever prostitutes today because they're lovely women living for God. Everybody is a candidate for a Bible study. Let's stand together. Would you do that with me?